Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today and always by my good friend, my business partner, my alter ego. Oof. <laughs> I wonder which side I am. <laughs> yeah, are you left shoulder? Are you right shoulder? Uh, <laughs> Mr. Jason Neil Patrick Harris Johnston Yellen in the hizzy. How you doing, Jason? Bring it in. Bring it in. Like my hands are in the air and I don't care. All right. Is that is that how you were waving them? As if you just don't care? Uh, absolutely. Thoroughly. I'm still thinking about which shoulder I am of yours. I, to be honest with you, I don't know which is which. When you say right and left, I, I don't know which one lives I, on which I've one. I've got to believe that everybody assumes the devil's on the left side, right? Because your left hand is, is the south paw, mm. right? The devil's hand, as we call it in Scotland. Oh, there you go. The devil's hand, right? So it's got to be the left side. You can, t- you can tell people I'm going to spend some time with the devil's hand. <laughs> people know exactly what you mean. Is that like the stranger? What is that? Is that something? That's exactly what it's like. Uh, <laughs> People in Scotland right now are like, I have never heard this. I've never, this must be an air thing. Like, no, I am just making it up as I'm sitting here. <laughs> this is not an Ayrshire thing. This is not a Mabel thing. This is, no, I am just making it up. So, oh, sorry. Sorry. I think, not sorry. I think it's a high street on Mabel thing. Everybody on High Street and Mabel know exactly what we're talking about. Um, so listen, Jason, I... I oh, go ahead. Did you, I, actually, I was going to confess. All right. I, I do... I have at least one left-handed uncle. And when he was growing up, it was definitely considered the devil's hand. And you're not meant to be writing with your left hand. That part is 100% true. You couldn't write with your left? Is that... Is that true? You are not allowed. You are not allowed. You aren't allowed. Could oh, you, you correct with, with your, your left? left? Oh my God. The, the listeners cannot see your <laughs> Cheshire cat grin after you said that. And I just kept plowing on. <laughs> Nobody could see how pleased you were with yourself. <laughs> the pride you took Listen, in that. It's, oh. it's only going to get worse. And, and, and this is... And this is, and you'll and you'll see, because I have a I have a specific question here for you, Jason. Last, I know you do. I know you. I'm not gonna I'm not not gonna lead the host because I know exactly what question you're gonna ask me. Last episode, you couldn't answer it. Last episode of extra extra, I, I poked at you about this. Here we are, uh, a good three to four weeks in. To the official launch of Indiana Jones 5, uh, The Dial of Destiny. The Dial of Destiny. And you have finally, finally seen the movie. Uh, solo or with the family? Um, it was actually, a, it was going to be a date with myself and Tamara. And then Zev at the last second said, my buddy's going to come see it. So is it okay if I'm in the cinema at the same time as you? Oh, knowing that we were on a date. And it was like, of course, it's okay that you're in the cinema. And then he showed up with his buddy and his buddy's family. So <laughs> we ended up being, <laughs> I think there were eight of us watching it when Tamar and I had gone out to watch it on uh, date night. 
I think it's... And it was great. It was fun. I, I, I like seeing people. It's perfectly fine. No, it's good. But, like, does any part of you, like, it's kind of weird that your kid's with another family? <laughs> well, and, they all, and we all sat together. Oh, you did? We were all one back row of people, so... So you couldn't do any yeah. necking. There was no necking happening. Well, we anymore. did. We did. It was it was awkward, but yeah, we have some no, We did not. No, Joshua, we did not. <laughs> we pulled we pulled the ripcord on that option. So But I tell you this yeah, as I sat there watching this movie, mm. I'm thinking to myself, what is this joke that Joshua has had in the chamber since he first saw this movie that he has mentioned multiple times? And will he remember said joke when the time comes to tell it? So that was in my head when I was watching Indy. <laughs> so my question to you is, before I tell this joke, do you agree? Because we can't give spoilers. I'm still there's. I'm still. I'm it is. Oh, yeah, right. It's yeah, too early. Got to right? be real careful here. Yeah, real um, careful. Can you confirm that Indiana Jones Five: The Dial of Destiny? is return to the good. A return to good Indiana Jones filmmaking, film watching, and film enjoyment. It's interesting to me that you keep calling it Indiana Jones 5, The Dial of Destiny, when it's just Indiana Jones, The Dial of Destiny. They have not put a numerical value on this movie. Well, it's the fifth movie. It is the fifth movie. It's just when you keep giving it its Sunday name, it's it's a bit like my uh, my Neil Patrick Harris, which I, I do love. I absolutely do love. But it is not in my passport. And Indiana Jones 5 is not in uh, his passport. Okay. So, yeah, without, without spoilers, I would go so far as to say the movie-going experience right now, writ large... Yeah is wrapped in nostalgia. Mm. And Indiana Jones does not shy away from that current trend. Correct. Correct. Oh, okay, so... But did, did you enjoy it? Without giving too much away... <laughs> I have never bought into the lambasting that the fourth movie took. Oh, interesting. You know, a number of people said the fourth movie was absolutely ridiculous. Now, I will include spoilers for the fourth movie, but not the fifth. Mm. The fact that it involves aliens on Earth and a spaceship. Yeah. Because apparently you're not meant to say UFO now. UFO now means something else. Blah, blah, blah. People were people were outraged, and the thing I, I said at the time why. was, yeah, right, right. The thing I said at the time was, this is a nineteen forties style serial episodic mm-hmm. comic book Saturday morning show at the theater kind of enterprise. Yeah, to be outraged that it got silly and ridiculous and included aliens I never it's got like or 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 the most famous scene for number four when he survives a nuclear blast by jumping inside a, a refrigerator. refrigerator yeah 
that then gets hurtled miles away, right? Like, it's completely ridiculous. Yeah. But for me, part of going to Indiana Jones is, it's ridiculous. Embrace how Embra- ridiculous it right, is. Right, because uh, the, the argument against aliens and spaceships and against nuclear refrigerators or being protected by a refrigerator with a... Being protected by a nuclear bomb with a refrigerator. That all fits firmly within Indiana Jones. Movie one, there is a special spirits or angels or God or whatever it is that melts Nazis. Mm -hmm. Episode two... This call, this this cleric guy rips out a guy's beating heart. The guy's stays alive, and his chest closes up, and and then he gets burned, and then the heart burns. Right? None of this stuff can happen. The the third movie, they're saying that the the Holy Grail can heal things and and make you live, you know, live live hundreds and or thousands of years. Movie four, there's aliens. Movie five, we're not going to talk about it. Oh. But 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 each movie has a spot where it says you're going to experience the fantastical and you need to be okay with it. So the fact that people complained about aliens in the fourth movie as being ridiculous, no. The reason why I didn't like the movie is because I thought Shia LaBeouf's character was not great. <laughs> They really seemed to lean on in 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 the fourth movie in the Crystal Skull one. Um, Harrison Ford being elderly, they almost seemed to play up him moving a bit slower, which I think they they remedied in in the fifth movie. And so those were the things that I disliked about the fourth movie the most. But, but just just real quickly on that point in number yeah. four. My thought in the cinema was they were preparing to hand the reins of the franchise off oh, to, Shia. to Shia LaBeouf, yeah. right? That's that's what I felt in watching that. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah, Indy was getting old and Indy was aging out, but here's this young upstart greaser ready to take on the mantle. Yeah. And yeah, Shia LaBeouf is not particularly good in that movie. Um, but there's still a lot of fun, silly things happening mm. in the fourth movie. So so to, to answer your question, I thought the fifth was was more of the same. And and yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I very nearly went back to see it a second time, two days later, but it didn't quite fit in. I ended up re- trying to finish a book on actual Nazis rather than going back to the cinema. Uh, Jason, I keep telling you, stop trying Nazis. to read Mein Kampf. Like, stop. I tell you, man. It's terrible. It's terrible, Jason. I tell you, man. No, actually, the, the book, if we're, if we're going to recommend a movie, I'm going to recommend the book. The Escape Artist by Jonathan Friedland mm. was magnificent. Mm. Tells the story of the of the first Jew. He was, he was one of two, but uh, the story of the first Jew to escape from Auschwitz. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it's... It's, it's a remarkable retelling. It also continues with this story and you find out that not all heroes are perfect people. And I think mm-hmm. that's a lesson that's that's well worth making, well worth returning to. Um, 
but an incredible, incredible book from Jonathan Friedland. I think it came out in 2021. So What's it I know again? there are listeners who, who take book recommendations. I highly, highly recommend that. And I'm very pleased to say it has absolutely nothing to do with whiskey uh, and instead has a lot to do with uh, the worst atrocity perhaps humanity has ever put upon uh, itself. And I say perhaps just to be generous to Pol Pot. And I don't know why I'm trying to be generous to Pol Pot. <laughs> uh, what was the uh, name of the book again? The title? The Escape Artist. Okay. And there is, Joshua, an audio version. Beauty. There you go. I'm, I'm 80% of the way done with uh, by, the, by the smoke and the smell. So, so listen, back to Indiana Jones and my joke. Yes, please. Yes. So, oh gosh. Okay, here we go. <laughs> in my in my opinion, I think I think you know, cuz people have started ranking their films like the best indie films, and so in my opinion, this this is oh, the I, I love indie films. That's, that's my favorite <laughs> genre of cinema. <laughs> ranking their Indiana Jones films. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Jason. Um in in my personal list in this order, is one, uh-huh. three, mm-hmm. five, mm-hmm. two, and four. Oof, 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 oof. Those those first three are a slam dunk. There's no doubt about it. Oh, you're going to put no four before two. You hate Temple of Doom that much that you're going to put Crystal Skull. I, I really, I really do hate number two. I really do. Well, I just think clean up properly. I, I think and it's, it's 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 fine. But I but I also think it has aged less well than the fourth. Like the fourth makes a safe return to yeah. Well, Russians, right, mm. right, and it's you know, it, it's pretty crisp and clear there. I think. I think the questionable racism of the first one is more an out and out racism of the second. That in, in its yeah, time, yeah, yeah. the Good 80s, point. it was yeah. it's what you said. It was how you thought about people. It was how you looked at other cultures. Yep. And I just don't think it's as easy to sit with in, in 23. So if casual racism were still cool today, you'd have a different yeah. opinion of the movie. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew casual racism would have an expiration date? Who knew? So, so here's, what, here's what I have to say, Jason. I think that because the second and, and fourth movie really were not that great, it only proves that these Indiana Jones movies can't even, which is really odd. Whoa. Wow. This is like your, you can't write with your left joke from earlier. My God. I told you. All there's right. my joke. That's my joke. Wow. This movie series wow. cannot even, which wow. is odd. There you go. <laughs> wow. I've been sitting on that stupid joke. Wow. I'm going to sit with that. When did that hit you? What moment did you have your personal Cheshire cat grin when you were oh. like, oh, that's good. Oh, I mean, that's, the, the fact of the matter good. is that joke's been going on ever since it became popular to, for people to say, oh, my gosh, I can't even, which is the mm. worst response to anyone's reaction who mm. can't deal with insert 
whatever it is here because I can't even even what it's always annoyed me and so anytime someone said I can't even I would just say that's odd (laughs) (laughs) so it's been going on for years and then when I started running the numbers which is why I was calling it Indiana the Indiana Jones 5 the dial of destiny it was all a setup Jason all playing the long game wow Wow, this this suddenly feels like the end of the usual suspects. Like I feel like our yeah. you know multi-minute conversation yeah. is now like I'm seeing clearly, oh that's why he said that. Yeah. And oh my gosh, and written on the underside of my cup was Indiana Jones five. Like, wow, yeah. wow, this is just That's me, that's Kaiser Sose walking away. I don't limp anymore, Jason. <laughs> Wow. Well, I, I will say this, Joshua. That was that was definitely worth waiting for. That was. Oh, thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Listeners can't even see my face, and they know it's dripping with sarcasm. Yeah, I'm not even. I'm not taking tone right now. I don't see tone, Jason. Anyway, listen. We we've talked about Indiana Jones. Uh, and and the Holocaust for for a good seventeen to eighteen minutes. I think that it's important for us, unless you object, for us to turn our sights over to today's guest, which is a conversation with uh, Felipe Schreiberg, who listeners will uh, will recognize his name hopefully. You know, over the past few years, we've we've used articles of his to to drive episodes of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey, and and we've recently had a chance to talk with him. Yeah, it was terrific. Finally, being in the same spot as him, it is remarkable. I was thinking this after we concluded the interview, and I was I was going about my my usual family business. I'm just we conducted an interview where you're sitting in Connecticut, I'm sitting in Virginia, and he's sitting in Gdansk or, or in Poland. Poland, yeah. Uh, maybe not specifically Gdansk. Um, and, and just thinking, that that came together so easily and so quickly, and, and it was easy to sit and chat with them over Zoom, and it was the first chance we'd had to have any extended conversation with him. Mm. And... You know, to be honest, the interview is a hair longer than we would normally go, but we had things to call back from extra extra. Yeah, we had things yeah. to call back from One Nation Under Whiskey. We had, you know, we had a whiskey conversation. There's even a point in this upcoming interview that listeners will hear where we're talking about, you know, bottle that comes with an album that, you know, we'll explain all of this as the interview goes along. But I was asking myself the question, I don't know how to buy any of this. And if I don't know how to buy any of this, none of our listeners will know how to buy any of this. <laughs> and I said, Felipe, how do we buy any of this? And he said, oh, yeah. I'm so terrible at this. Said, no, you're, you're like all of us. Yeah. You just have a whiskey chat, right? Yeah. You're, not, yeah. you're not angling for a sale. You're not angling to, to make people know about you know, the thing that you want to be selling to them. You're not turning every sentence back into a sales opportunity. We were just chatting whiskey just and future yeah. of whiskey and the past of whiskey. And yep. It's easy, easy peasy. So, so yeah, I'm going to, I will also stop talking at this point and, and let's get over to this slightly longer interview with Felipe Schreiber.
Felipe Schreiberg, thank you so much for joining me and Jason today. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. Your name is a name that's popped up over and over and over through through a decent part of this podcast. Because for the past four years, Jason and I had this sort of secondary podcast that we call Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. So One Nation Under Whiskey is where we have these sort of long-form conversations. And we just hear about what people are doing, whether they're writers or bottlers or musicians or whatever. But in Extra Extra, we always source, um, you know, a whiskey news story or a whiskey-adjacent news story that strikes our fancy, and then we we read the story and we riff on it for, for a few minutes. And, and your name has come up a number of times because of some of the articles that you've written. So it's nice to actually finally meet you. But what's interesting um, is today we're not just talking with you about your, your whiskey journalism, but you're starting a new endeavor. You're starting both an independent bottling company and a record label at the same time called Rhythm and Booze. So I wanted to, if you wouldn't mind, let's, let's kick it off for, for our listeners who may not be familiar with your name or maybe they've read your stories a little before. It'd be good to hear your story a little bit, maybe how you came to whiskey through passion, through family. Like, how did all that start? Where was your spark in whiskey? Yeah, sure. Well, of course, uh, thanks so much for having me on. It's a real, real pleasure. Um, I know about you guys primarily through your whiskey, uh, because I know a couple of the New York whiskey guys who have gone on and on about Single Cask Nation. (laughs) We've met, I believe, Joshua, very briefly, and I think it was you, at the um, Matt Lurin's Water of Life Festival in 2015, if I'm not mistaken, I think you were hosting one of the speed dating tables. I'm quite sure that was you. Am I 100%? Yeah. No, but I think it was because uh, I do yeah. remember trying Single Cask Nation then. Uh, and so we were the band playing in the back courtyard to maybe like two people. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Oh, what, what, was, it, what was the band's name? Did uh, we didn't use the rhythm and booze name then, so we would have gone under the blues water, the two of us, okay. same same kind okay. of deal, and yeah. but but anyways, to, so let's answer your question before we venture down a little <laughs> okay. yeah. how I know you rabbit hole, but yeah. um, so I started drinking whiskey because I did my undergrad in Scotland, so I was at the University of St Andrews like many Americans, and in my and I never liked beer, a lot of alcohol just didn't do hmm. it for me in general. Um, I still don't like beer. It turns me into a walking violation of the biological convention, uh, by the wa- Geneva Conventions on Biological Weapons. Uh, essentially, I, I fart a lot, right? Wow. And so, right. and so, uh, so, so, and I so like we started we went this into podcast. farts this early. This is, this is an, great. An indication of where the rest of the evening may lie. But, um, in, and so I could never find something that really worked for me that I really liked that much. Every once in a while, I'd have a whiskey and it's kind of like, I kind of like this. All right. And then my last year, my undergrad, I discovered there was a student whiskey society that's been there under my nose the whole time. You pay six mm-hmm. pounds mm-hmm. and you get to try absurd quantities of world class whiskey. And this is the Quake Society at St. Andrews, which I believe is still going strong. From that, I fell in love with whiskey. 
It was me and a good buddy. We would go to these tastings. Then we'd go to the local spirits shop, a phenomenal shop called Luvian's. They'd have these awesome single malts yeah. on, uh, on sales for like 20 quid. So you 10 or each. We'd get through a bottle of whiskey in like a week, <laughs> maybe a week and a half. We'd go on to the next thing that's on sale. And so we really fell in love with it that way. Um, and then from there, I moved to Edinburgh to do my master's. And I worked at a whiskey shop called Robert Graham for about a year during my master's. Mm -hmm. And from there, I was able to taste a lot more and really start to get a bit more geeky with it, understand what's going on, develop more of a a language of taste, shall we say, as well. Mm. And things just kind of kept rolling. I ended up then doing my dissertation on sustainable whiskey distillation on Isla. And then I started running tastings. And then I started writing about whiskey. And it somehow then became a career, uh, essentially, from there. And I, so I just kind of fell into it. I've kind of kept trundling along ever since. And then on the music side, I've, I've had a blues band and still have a blues band in Edinburgh uh, for, for a long time. We've gone for over 10 years now. And yeah. so that was a band called the Blues Water. Now, our former drummer, now my current drummer with the, this project, um, you'll... <laughs> The musicians will get this for other people. It just gets a bit silly. But the <laughs> so we wanted to, we loved Isla whiskey in particular. So we had the idea, let's do an Isla tour, but we don't want money. We want a bed. We want food. We want whiskey. So mm. off we went. And this was 2012. Uh, so I just started my master's back then. And because we didn't have a band name or anything to show for it, we simply stole... This other band named The Blues Water, even though that wasn't The Blues Water at all, to just be able to say, hey, here's a video of us. What do you want us to play? Because we didn't have any recordings of the two of us playing. And uh, and off we went to Isla. And it was one of those probably – it was, definitely was a life-changing trip in that. That definitely set me on the path of starting to think about combining music and whiskey. And while we're out there, uh, we meet all these incredible people. We try all this incredible whiskey, lots of great kind of experiences and stories. We're in one hotel – no longer with us, called the White Heart Hotel, which was oh, a yeah. dodgy, there. dodgy, yeah. dodgy place. Real there. dodgy. There are, well, it's gone now. They've renovated into something fancy now. So um, I think it's called Number One Charlotte Street or something. Anyways, the so you guys have the knowing nods. You know what that place is like. We're playing a gig mm-hmm. there, right? And this very, very merry lady comes up to us and she goes, boys, boys, uh, you guys are quite good. Yeah. I'm the distillery manager of Lagavulin, and you're going to come into my office tomorrow, and I will crush you. We're like, what? He's <laughs> like, oh, I'm, we're not sure you are what you say, lady. This is a bit ridiculous. She goes, you're coming to my office at noon tomorrow. It's like, all right, well, we love Lagavulin. So, in fact, I'm actually, oh, no, no, I don't have a Lagavulin t-shirt on me. But um, so, we, so we show up at noon the next day. Georgie Crawford was indeed the distillery mm-hmm. manager of Lagavulin. Mm-hmm. She locks her office wow. and spends, starts with, you know, three fingers of new make, two hours, oh. and proceeds to crush us. And over the course of that... <laughs> A woman of our oh, work. completely. And, yeah. and over the course of that drinking session, she goes, you guys should come and play the face shield. And we're like, the what, what? There's yeah. this, and we never knew there was a whiskey festival that's over a week long that happens on the island every year. Yeah. And then, so that trip was 2012. So in 2013, we went to play at Lagavulin at the Fish, and we've been going to the Fish every single year since. Uh, did, and, did you play there in 2019? 
Yes, we've been there every year. Yes. So your drum was a cask. Yes. I saw you play. I spoke with you at the Phage in 2019. <laughs> ah, see the pot oh, The whole time, I'm like, man, his face, his face. And yeah, there we go. Okay. Mm. So that yeah. project, uh, that project came about with the Whiskey Castrum. We can get into this later. So that was, we, somehow I managed to convince Diageo to let us stretch goat skin over two sides of a barrel. Uh, that was a fun project. <laughs> and so that, that, ca- so that yeah. Castrum is still out there. Um, but we can talk about that later. In any case, so from doing the Phage, we then started thinking about how can we do this the rest of the year, and that's mm. the Rhythm and Booze Project. Now, confuse things. You have the Rhythm and Booze Project and now Rhythm and Booze Records, uh, so maybe mm-hmm. faulty branding on my part. But Rhythm and Booze Project, that's a two-piece band that combines music and whiskey through gigs and videos and theater mm-hmm. and events. And then Rhythm and Booze Records... Uh, is us taking that idea of combining music and whiskey a step further, going outside of live performance. Um, and the idea with this is, uh, as you guys know, the front label is the album cover featuring the mm-hmm. band. The back label will have a QR code where you can stream and download the music from that band, but that right. music is not on any streaming sites. It is exclusive to the bottle. So the music is made to go with the spirit in the bottle and the spirit is made to go with the music. Um, they, are, they are curated and paired together. Uh, and so that's what mm-hmm. I'm now working on and hoping to very much scale up over the next year. Yeah. For now, we've got our first release out. We literally now officially can now send uh, and sell bottles to the U.S. without resorting to dirty tricks. Um, we got a <laughs> retailer on board that's able to ship, and they have a warehouse in Good. New York, um, okay. which I'm very happy about. And... Uh, so so we're using ourselves as guinea pigs. So for the first two releases, it's going to be our own music. And then from there, yeah. we're going to bring in other bands uh, that we think are a good fit or there's liquid that might work or just looking to see how, what other directions we can go with this little venture. Yeah, sure. So that is the uh, a slightly uh, longer than intended uh, rambling run through of what I'm currently doing. And as well, <laughs> I, uh, I write about whiskey. I've written some books about drinks. I run whiskey tastings. I'll leave it at that, and thank you for your patience. <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. This is Jason's sign of I want to talk next. Because <laughs> I, I just want to squeeze in a, a very quick little follow-up there where you just said a moment ago, I, I've got a, a lot of other questions sparked by what you said there, but, but one in particular, there's music paired with whiskey, whiskey paired with music. Which comes first? How have you found that part of the process? That will change with every single release we do, I think. In the two particular cases we have now, it was that we had we had recordings that we'd done and that we'd wanted to do, and then it was a matter of finding liquid that we thought would fit. And so for hmm. both of them, so for this one's a, a whiskey, uh, single cask, single sherry cask, blended malt, we, we think, we're not actually 100% sure, it's Edrington malts uh, put into, uh, mm-hmm. blended together, so it's like a naked grouse on steroids, uh, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there's a little bit of smoke in there that's quite nice. And so mm-hmm. that, uh, when we tried a few different samples, we were sent this and we were like, that's the one, that's what works. Yeah. That rich yeah. profile with the slight smoke, that goes well with kind of two-piece, raucous, yeah blues music kind of thing um then the thing we're going to come out we have a rum coming out 
Uh, we're hoping October. We believe we're going to get it ready by October, um, especially the lessons we've learned from doing this whiskey. That and that's a Latin. Um, that's a Latin pop quartet that where I sing original songs in Spanish, uh, and so we got a rum. And so we wanted something that was quite tropical uh, to go with it. And it ended up working quite nicely because we, we tried a few different samples. Then we got a bunch of grain whiskey in because we thought grain whiskey, nice and tropical, aromas, lots of cream and vanilla. Um, that sure. would go well. Uh, nothing fit. We got a few amazing grain whiskey, some really old stock as well. Not, not. And then this four-year-old rum came in and huh. boom, that's it. Wow. That's the magic. The I dream, I don't know when we'll be able to pull this off. Once I do dream of blending to the music eventually where we're able to do a larger release and you can buy because you're blending many casts together to go with the music that you're using as inspiration but we're not there yet for now we're curating casks uh to go with music i I do i do like the idea of maybe in the future if we have a cast that we know is good can we work with somebody who really knows us who gets what we want to do, who could maybe do music based on flavor or something like that. Is there a scope for that? I hope we can reach there. For now, we're mm-hmm. we're keeping it simple and then we can get tricky uh, once yep. we Smart. feel good about what we do. Wow. Checks out. Good job. Mm. Yeah. So you've got the QR code tied mm. to a single bottling that goes to specific music along with that single cast release or that release. How many songs are we are we looking at, and do you do you refill it? Do you do you add, do you ever add to that as sort of a you know return to the bottle, and, and maybe six months later there's another song that greets them? Like how how are you looking at that, Joshua? I honestly had never thought of that until you mentioned it. It's a great idea. I <laughs> never even thought about doing that. When the moment you mentioned it, it's like that's actually pretty good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do that. Honestly, hadn't th- had that thought at all. Um, the yeah. idea is it's it's seven songs on both uh, both this okay. one and the upcoming one, uh, kind of okay. like somewhere between a somewhere between an EP and an LP or whatever. Um, so yeah. the idea is that the length of it is the amount of time it takes you to go through a somewhat healthy sized dram, somewhat slowly. <laughs> Fill bottle. Yeah. So you're so. So it, it both both are about between 20, 20 25 minutes in length. Uh, seven songs on both of those. Uh, not married to whatever the content is, but they're there f- until you opened your mouth there. Those, that's just what it is. It, that's the package. That's what's in the bottle. That's what's on the yeah. length when you scan it. Um, and and each and every time you scan it, that'll take you to that exact. A private link where you can find those songs mm-hmm. is how we have it set up at the moment. But now you've blown that apart, maybe. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. It's it, it, it's a really it's a really interesting concept. Well, let me ask you this then: What connects you to music? Right. Like from from what you explained, connecting your your songs where you're singing in Spanish to a rum. You know, just on the surface, I see a connection because there's a lot of Spanish-speaking countries that produce a rum, and, and to me, from like you know, like that that simply makes sense from from that perspective. But from like, if you taste something that's sherry cask, are you gonna like? Is is that heavy blues? Like, if it's lighter flavors, is it? 
you know, is it light and acoustic? Like where do you, how do you envision the music when you're tasting the liquid? We've, it's a mix of things. So it's kind of based off just experiences we've had ourselves when we've yeah. done our music and whiskey events. We see how yeah. people are responding to different sounds or we see how people are responding to different songs. We've done tr- a lot of tricks, especially using peated whiskey uh, as well with really, really punchy stuff and that's worked. Um, so we just kind of knew based on what we were about what kind of profile we would want to our music. Mm. So we're we're applying our own subjective desires yeah, sure. or projecting our own subjective desires yeah. of what we would want to drink to our music. Yeah. We're not even if you go thinking about what the audience might think, then I think you're going to drive yourself yep. into a hopeless place. Yep. Mm, and the same was with the rum uh, and this rum isn't even from a Spanish-speaking country. It's from oh, I don't even know where. It's just Trinidad. That's all. I, that's all I got. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so it really is just what am I looking for in the profile? Is that there? Does it check off what I envisioned? Uh, given what we do, in my own loose mental associations between sound, smell, mm. and taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the answer is yes, bottle that thing. Right. Uh, yeah. We've we've not take. I do hope. As we go, we can explore things in a bit more depth beyond just gut feeling. Mm. Just because we're still figuring it all out and doing it cask by cask. Sure. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of really. And it was just more that do we have music that works? Yes. Do we have liquid that works that really does suit what we want? Yes. I, is there a lot of scope to dig in? In the future, in a way that could be really cool, uh, certainly, certainly, um, we—I really do think, and I and I do proselytize about this. We are at the tip of the iceberg. I think I even said this, and I think I even used the iceberg metaphor in the presser for this. Um, th- that we are at the tip of the iceberg in terms of where you could take music and whiskey and how you combine yeah. it. Um, there is so much more that can be done. This is our way of just trying to take that further based on our own experiences but we're we're at the very beginning only now musicians certain musicians are being to twig on to what you can do and even then we're we're not even close to what yeah. kind of cool mm, the, to the kind of things that you can do in such a way that you're combining multi-sensory experiences in a really interesting way we're not we're not even close to there yet the fact that I'm using the term multi-sensory experiences does make me want to throw up in my own mouth but I do have to use it <laughs> uh, I do have to use it and then as well though with that and we've already I'm sure you guys know what's out there as well there's also lots of gimmicks that don't really yeah. add anything in that sense yep. but there is mm-hmm. the, but there are more and more interesting things that are happening that I think have a lot of value uh, in terms of creating a special context through which you both experience music and taste quality spirits. Man. Go ahead. Go ahead <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to put a pin in the music chat because I'm sure Joshua's got more musical follow-ups here. But if he's inevitably going to take it down a musical path, I'm inevitably going to take it down an academic path. So when you tease that you wrote your dissertation on sustainable distillery practices on Isla, we need to circle back to that topic <laughs> and we need 
a lot more information on that. So I'm going to be responsible for taking us back to the academic. I also, just because I've been sitting here thinking it since you mentioned it, did part of your dissertation then get turned into an article for Whiskey Magazine on sustainability and distillation on Iowa? No. I... Okay. No, no. It wouldn't have done. Because we were using a, a Schreiberg piece from there about Pete, especially last year when that was mm-hmm. all the all mm-hmm. the talk of the town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was no date attached to that article. Oh. It seemed like an evergreen. Oh. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And so it was kind of an interesting... Josh and I were trying to place when it might have been written, if it was maybe regularly updated. You know, wasn't oh. too sure. But please... So, yeah, yeah talk, sure. talk about your talk about your dissertation. Um, I'll quickly say that whiskey magazine piece, which was loads of fun to write. That I think it's two thousand. I want to say it's 2020, 2021. Uh, which is kind of where we pegged it, given there was something you'd made reference to happening the year before, mm-hmm. and we kind of narrowed down some dates yeah. based on that. Yeah, it would have been. It must have been twenty twenty one because I still had hope that the SWA was going to release a peak guideline thing as they had promised mm-hmm. uh, and at the time mm-hmm. I wrote it mm-hmm. it was still within their their it was still within a reasonable timeline and then that never got released anyways yep. Um, yep. my dissertation was uh, thinking about sus- distillation on Isla by applying a very specific sustainability I'll call it a sustainability framework called the circular economy um, I so and that was 2014 and it was nice because I went out there to the fish we played the fish for the whole week um, and I got the university to pay for me to go because then I stuck around for three <laughs> days after and did all my uh, smart field interviews uh, with all the distillery managers after that yeah and so that was looking very specifically uh, so the circular economy the Scottish government subscribes to it in a very strong way and nowadays it's all kind of falling apart but we can we can leave that aside because uh, there is a lot there. But the idea behind the circular economy as a framework is if we look at generally how our economy works is you take resources, you create product, you use product, you dispose product. Mm-hmm. And by doing it in this way, you're screwing everything up, which we are. So circular mm-hmm. economy is why not apply a systematic way of thinking where whatever you do, you frame it in terms of resources that can be circulated over and over and over and over again. And in doing so, you actually make money because you are actually reusing the same resources rather than having to spend to re-extract them or deal with the waste of them or mm. process them or something. Mm-hmm. And and so that, mm-hmm. and I say this in a very bland way because it the idea is meant to be applied across all areas of industrial activity. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at what can that mean for whiskey, uh, and it was fun, <laughs> essentially. Though <laughs> there's though there's back then there's things that you could. Uh, it was a little bit idealistic in that things that I put in there or case studies that I looked at. Um, they're probably much harder to apply on Isla. Just because of the nature of being mm. an island, um, sure. so that was so that's what sure. that that's what that work was about. Actually, if we're on the topic of sustainability, I literally came back today from England, where we had just done a series of gigs with the Oxford Artisan Distillery. Uh, so I'm moving from Isla to England now, just because mm. we're staying on the sustainability subject. And what they're doing with grain right now is probably one of the most, if not the most, fascinating. 
uh, grain feedstock experiments in the entire whiskey world and how they grow their grains. Mm. Um, I checked them out if you've not heard of them. So because they're led by a crazy Canadian uh, paleobotanist called John Letts. And what he's done is the fields that they use, they grow, they don't care at all about monoculture. They grow everything on one field, barley, rye, wheat, and they bed it and they use heritage varietals that have longer stalks and longer root systems so they don't sure. need as much nitrogen and they also mm-hmm. have a whole system where they the fields they grow on is also embedded with clover uh, which is a nitrogen fixing plant yep so mm-hmm. it's these self-sustaining fields that don't have to go through fallow periods now we're going deep into the agronomy here um, yeah keep uh, going and, keep uh, going so you can keep <laughs> don't stop now you can keep using the same field over and over and over again. You don't need any fallow years, anything like that. No inputs into the ground. Uh, you avoid all the issues that you get around uh, organic barley farming, which is a different kind of monoculture and more yeah. inefficient, slightly healthier, slightly healthier for the soil, but certainly and probably not the answer uh, in terms of being able to scale. So this is a really interesting experiment in uh, mm-hmm. being able to get reasonable yields and scale. Uh, in a really interesting mm-hmm. way. And they just got a lot of funding from Distill Ventures uh, or from Diageo, uh, if you want yeah. to nice. yeah. that way as well. Yeah. So Diageo thinks there's something to this as well. Uh, and it also helps that the whiskey they make is absolutely fabulous. So that's that's a, an interesting case study today. So, so I'll, that's, I'll leave it at that. Uh, on the academic side of things, I guess, with the whiskey. But And then pizza, <laughs> and Pete's another one. Pete's another fascinating fascinating yep. world yeah. uh though let me know how deep you want to go with it and we can go you know uh but yeah so yeah, there's a right. lot of interesting things a lot of there's a lot it's really interesting because there's a lot of really encouraging things happening within the industry it's an industry that knows that it needs to think 20 years in advance where so many industries don't know that yeah because whiskey yep. naturally yeah. thinks this way it means that you know, even the corporations are ready to get on board with lots of stuff and doing lots of interesting things. And at the same time, there's loads of room for improvement across uh, so many uh, elements of procurement or production mm. or what else you want to look at. So, yeah. I, I, I would like to ask you the one follow-up on, Pete. In terms of, you know, we had this use until last year that included garden centers and the whiskey industry was able to say, look, we're only 4%. We're only 1%. Really, we're a small corner of this. Now that garden centers have been removed from that equation entirely and the whiskey industry is 99%, you know, 99.9% of this use, what do you think that means going forward? Is the whiskey industry the next in the crosshairs for a full ban? Are there alternatives? What are you hearing on the ground in your conversations? Oh, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit out of the loop, I would say, partly because I've had a baby, frankly, and also... Oh, puzzle. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, no, now she's a, well, no, she's a two-year-old toddler. It's been a while, but... Um, ah. but uh, uh, Still. And, and, also, yeah. and also just focusing on my own projects. So I've, I've, I've kept... Gotcha. Slightly as up to date than before. As far as I'm aware, because I, I am, whenever I hear anything, I do try to follow it down. I don't think there's been much happening since 
I last looked at it in depth. I've not seen anything from the SWA. I don't think they ever mm-hmm. launched. Maybe they did, and, it, and I just didn't catch it. That's possible. Mm-hmm. I don't think they ever released that Pete strategy that they were going to, that they said they were going to, where apparently the entire industry was in agreement of what's going to happen. Um, so I think it's still just kind of every every company does its own thing to to account for Pete. And I think that's just where it's at. I, I, I think because there's been slightly more attention paid to it, more companies are thinking about, you know, how do we do offsetting or uh, responsible extraction? Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I'm not aware of anything significant. I'm not aware of any industry-wide things that have happened since I actually last covered sure. it. Sure, um, sure. Well, it, it strikes me the extraction would be the natural next step where in, instead of drying out an entire ditch and kind of clearing out um, <laughs> all, all the microbial action uh, occurring therein, it seems like this wet digging might be a way forward. And in our last conversation with Matt Hoffman at Westland, mm. they talked about kind of wet extraction of peat, um, where you get something that just looks like a, a pile of manure uh, yeah. pulled out of a, a much larger ecosystem. At that point, you know, well, you're still disrupting an ecosystem in some say, some way, you know, is, is that appropriate? So I think to my mind, that might be the way forward on those conversations. But in terms of industry wide, we haven't seen anything come down and haven't heard anybody talk about it. But it, I've got a feeling it's inevitable at some point in the next five years, eight years. I think some of the things you see is first, um, the, in terms of where you're going to dig your peat up from, you've got two different ecosystems you're disrupting. Uh, and you've got the kind of, your I'll call it your standard bogs. And then you've got a very small proportion of peatland, but that still gets dug into, is extremely rare. And that gets dug into, and that's a big issue because you have a lot of endemic species in those parcels there. So that's something that may come up. Um, mm. Because mm-hmm. in terms of like the lowland peat bog, which I think is a kind of your standard, uh, your standard peat bog for digging up, th- there's <laughs> supply for that out there already. Sure. Um, but then, I mean, there's lots of this scope for things. So, for example, you could look at offsetting. So, as in, you're you're doing your extraction, you're trying to be, yeah, you can optimize how you do extraction. But then you could also, you know, fund. Uh, fund rewetting activities and peat conservation in general, mm. and mm. and do more around that. And some companies do. Then one, of, I was talking to an, a guy who runs, um, or he's part of an NGO that helps, and that was collaborating with the SWA on their peat strategy. Uh, and he was saying, you know, when you have construction, you do get, especially up in the Highlands, a lot of peat gets dug up and thrown away, just gets mm. tossed. Uh, yeah, Is sure. there scope mm. for using that? Because then you're you're being a lot more efficient with that bit that's getting dug up for whatever development you need sure. to do. So that's interesting. Um, I, I've never heard of that happening within the whiskey industry. So that could be an interesting direction. But then a challenge to that, and he did mention it, is one of the things we're getting around peat, and I love peated whiskey, so let's be, let's be clear. But yep, one of the things yeah. that's come with peat is also a lot of brands are tying their... The, the brand of their flavor to where they're digging their peat up. Yes, that is so true. If you're, so if you're all of a sudden sourcing your peat from somewhere else that doesn't tie into what you're talking about, you're undermining your brand. So mm. that could cause certain problems there uh, because you've got to show that you're digging it up from, so let's say you're Highland Park. It's got to come from Highland Park. Yeah. So all of a sudden... Mm. 
But, you know, Highland Park, you know, the Orkneys, they're delicate, it's delicate things. So they are working with the RSPB around bird preservation, but, you know, it's got to come from Highland Park. So you can't ship from somewhere else. You can't ship from them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or if you're talking about Isla Pete, you know, in some some brands, I believe, have shipped uh, mainland peat over to Isla uh, for mm-hmm. things here. But there, there are some things that, that emerge that could become potential challenges to developing a greener way forward. Uh that's uh, that's another point that uh, definitely I, kn- I know for a fact was a sticking point in some of the negotiations uh, that the SWA were having around moving forward on um, uh, a strategy that the entire industry could agree on. Could agree on. So that's another little fun little uh, policy geekery, <laughs> peak <laughs> policy geekery uh, uh, fact there. Well, yeah, it, it it makes sense. You know, there's this this ongoing conversation of of terroir and terroir and whiskey and and I typically don't believe it for the most part or at least it having an, an extreme effect on the flavor of your whiskey however peat is is exactly terroir it is the earth and Isla peat is different from Orkney peat, is different from Highland peat, is different from Lowland peat, is different from peat in Washington state, and so on. And so it makes sense that you're going to, for whiskey, your flavor profile is your brand, right? I mean, that's the way, that's the way independent bottlers have worked for so long. We get the lag, the Lagavulin, not Lagavulin, we get the Laphroaig that doesn't fit the Laphroaig profile right it, it just it, it makes sense they don't want to use it so would they want to use another source of peat that completely changes their flavor profile no that that that's a problem wow it's real real interesting stuff mm. but you could go deeper into it right because then it's about look then you got to do how deep you guys want to go just let me know but um you Keep can go you can do a molecular analysis of the peat and it has been done so there's uh the uh, Scotch Whiskey Research, SWRI, the SWRI, I think they are, mm-hmm. the Scotch Whiskey Research Institute. I think I named them correctly. So they, they're the ones leading the way on uh, the science of Scotch Whiskey, shall we say. Uh, mm-hmm. And they did a lot on Pete, and they did a lot of experiments around what exactly gets extracted uh, when you extract the peat, uh, and what comes from that. And actually of the 150-something compounds in your peat, you're actually only going to be able to taste a small proportion of them, like a third of them. And not all of them are actually phenols. We always talk about phenols and peat, phenolic compounds. But it's not just phenols you get in peat. You get other stuff too. The makeup also, in addition to what's actually in the peat, your actual, the nature of the plant matter uh, that's kind of in that peat, is that changes not just with location, it changes with depth. It changes radically oh, with depth. Yeah. Yep. Nobody talks about what happens when you've got peat dug at a certain depth or a medium depth or a shallower depth and what that means for flavor. Nobody's talked about it. It's it's but what you're going to get from that will probably quite dif- be quite different as well. Mm. Um, there's, so there's probably a brand that can maybe <laughs> uh, find a niche there being like, we use nothing but the finest medium layer peat uh, <laughs> because that's going to have that. Uh, but, uh, so there's also that that comes into play in a really interesting way. Uh, and uh, yeah, so, so really it's, it's almost about being able to identify, and even the scientists don't quite know where the line ends and where the line begins about which compounds 
provide flavors and aromas that actually translate to flavors and aromas. They know about some of them. So if you get your your actual, you got your phenols and then you have the actual compound phenols. Mm-hmm. So you have your M phenols and your C phenols, I want to say. Oh, I should really know that. <laughs> it's M phenols and another one. It's There's two different kinds of phenols that provide the some of the phenolic compounds that provide really intense phenolic flavors. I hope some chemists out there can nail it <laughs> yeah, down. I used to know. Radios right I now. hope, please shout. I really should have known this. I wrote about it and I forgot what. One is M-phenols. <laughs> one is letter and phenol. Yeah. And those are actual compounds under the actual banner of phenols themselves. Um, and we don't, and if you look at all those different phenolic compounds, we don't know where the line begins and ends. We're, there's no hard boundary on what compounds are providing exactly what flavors to the whiskey uh, from the peat. Some of them, yes, they know, but some they don't, uh, whether phenolic or certain non-phenolic ones as well. Um, so there's something also to be said for the uh, non-phenolic compound peat. But then also there's the fact, and this is something I found out, she just casually, Ra- Dr. Rachel Berry casually mm-hmm. tossed this out mm-hmm. on a chat I had with her. And maybe some people thought knew already knew and that this was obvious, but... It wasn't obvious to me, so maybe I'm just a noob, despite the fact that I've been in the industry for a while, that when you're burning, <laughs> that when you're toasting and charring the casks, those release phenols that get into mm. the the spirit as well. Uh, so okay. you can so you can get some kind of phenolic content sure. uh, on a molecular level, whether you yeah. whether you perceive it or not. Yeah, you can actually get some kind of phenolic compound uh, phenolic content into whiskey without actually having it be peated because of how you treat the casks that was just one sentence but it yeah. was loud and clear <laughs> yeah yeah sure. from from dr rach berry so that also can play a role yes um so it's so it's fun wow <laughs> pete is fun <laughs> but, but here's what i like I, aside from one little aside you made there about kind of we only cut the medium uh <laughs> pete here for our flavor profile one of the things Josh and I have been careful of in this season of One Nation Under Whiskey is, is to discuss sustainability in a meaningful way that mm. moves beyond greenwashing, that moves mm. beyond simple branding. And in everything you talked about there, you know, even when you, you, know, you talk about different distilleries and different uh, conglomerates, talking with the, uh, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, right? Or hiking groups or land use groups or, or what have you, like... I do feel like there are real conversations happening here about Scottish land, Scottish land use, Mm -hmm. um, Scottish ways of being. You talk about the Scottish government trying to be cyclical and getting themselves into a little bit of trouble. I'm assuming you're talking about the recycling glass program uh, that we've been covering uh, earlier this year as well that has gone away for the moment but will return. And so... I like the fact that the three of us can sit here and talk about meaningful ways to use land, meaningful Mm -hmm. ways to incorporate peat going forward, greater ways to learn about peat and phenols and and break down what it is we love. Mm. One of the things that we're so aware of is knee-jerk reactions to you'll you'll never take my phenols from my whiskey right it's like well maybe we could do it in a different way maybe we could get creative maybe we could use science maybe we could extract better like there are very real conversations to be had here beyond either we're a brand who doesn't use peat or 
we're a brand who pulls from the middle. Like, I, I, you know, I really want us to be having those very real conversations as we move this industry through the rest of this decade and into f- future decades. What's encouraging, I think, is that you have both new, small, innovative businesses doing really interesting things, and you also have the big players doing very interesting mm. things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that kind of means that, sure, there might be disagreement on how it all moves forward or whatever, because, you know, as uh, you guys all know, and I, I lived for 11 years in Scotland, trying to get a bunch of Scotsmen to do something together is tricky. <laughs> um, but the but the, everybody's definitely moving forward in a very specific direction. Uh, and mm-hmm. and it and with part of it will also we'll see how we'll see how much consumers respond to it as well. That plays into it. How yeah. much mm-hmm. do actual whiskey consumers want to be seeing this happen? How much do they want to see happen? Signs show that there's and there's encouraging signs that there's that too. So you know, Nicknean is interesting up in the mm-hmm. Western Highlands. So mm-hmm. small small operation, very remote, uh, very cool operation they source exclusively from organic certified fields and they and they trumpet that what they've mm-hmm. also done really really good is um really encouraging they've been very thorough in all their carbon footprint accounting um in a way that distilleries might be doing some interesting things but i, I believe the actual record on carbon footprinting is uh, for the scotch whiskey industry not amazing as far as mm-hmm. I'm aware. So so Annabel Thomas, who's the founder, she's been pushing just simply yeah. get your data, do this. It's not impossible. Do it because then from there you can figure out how to move forward uh, in, mm-hmm. a, in a more harmonized way. So that's really cool. And then you've got Diage with the, these insane green paradise facilities that are able to reuse enormous quantities of energy or water and yeah. then you've got you know there's an interesting Glenn Morangy had the whole campaign around um, uh, sort of restoring uh, oyster bays uh, around where they are as well mm-hmm. lots of cool things like this or then also there's mm-hmm. more around and then also just in terms of even the tourism of it I think there's more places that are using that are creating natural ponds out of their cooling systems uh, mm-hmm. So that's something that's more visual than actually meaningful mm-hmm. on an industrial scale. But it just shows, you know, distilleries are thinking about it, They're thinking about yeah. it, and they want to find a way to move forward. And then, yes, then you run into, at one point, is it just symbolic and greenwashing? And at one point, is it significant? But I don't know, overall, compared to what other industries are doing, it's not, it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool to, to keep track of. But when you spend as much time talking about whiskey as as an agricultural product, as we talk about casks coming from forests, when we talk about water coming from key locations, you know, you know, we talk about peat and peat bogs, you know, living somewhere. Like we really do talk about the land continually when we're in our industry. And so mm-hmm. it, it makes sense that we're hopefully trying to be better stewards of that land. And if we can see the writing that was on the wall for the garden centres, it probably behooves us as an industry to be ahead of that. Uh, so we can point and say, look, we're not just extracting blindly. We are building towards a future. Yeah. Could you give us a runway? That's a very different question. Then please don't take it away from us entirely. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's, it's about looking at changing ways of doing business. Again, I think Oxford, just because I just came back from there, um, yeah. I think Oxford <laughs> are a really interesting example of, of reinventing the wheel. Because if you look at how they do it, uh, to just stay on them, because they their crop, because it's a mixed, it's mixed grains on their fields, they don't, they have a kind of a, a, a distillery character, hmm. but they have no consistency. They know it. The uh, Chico Rose is their head distiller and one of and the main blender for them as well. He knows it. He just wants to make tasty whiskey with what he's got, and he knows kind of what his mash bill is with all these crazy fields coming through. But and so they know what they're kind of going to get, but they don't have a. There's no official distillery character house oh, style okay. uh, because of the the way that the fields are constantly changing. So they're releasing their whiskeys. Uh, as under years. So it's the 2017 bottling. That's, uh, that was what they did, 2018. Yep. And all of a sudden, where in the past where you had brands or distilleries release things in years, but really it was just a gimmick to make them look fancy like yeah. wine. But really they were making it the same way then as they make it the same way now. This is actually interesting because you are looking at a completely different... Uh, different harvest. Uh, yeah, it's harvest to harvest. Different yeah, style of, Different style of using the land for whiskey yeah, production. Yeah. Different style of using the yeah. land for whiskey production. But then... And then also that ties in, I guess, moving a little bit away from sustainability um, with uh, something like Glen Turret, where they also kind of openly acknowledge, we're just going to kind of change the cask makeup as we go to make it tasty. Here's the 2020 edition of the 12-year-old. And here's the 20, 2021 edition of the 12-year-old. It's a little bit different. Still kind of similar, but a little bit different. And so all of a sudden, you're uh, the, by changing how you approach what you want from whiskey you change whiskey itself, or at yes. least you change how people think about it. Uh, and so consistencies, so consistency, which used to be, and still kind of yeah. is, the North Star of uh, industrial yeah. scotch production, mm-hmm. uh, we're starting to see that being played with in a really interesting way uh, from both a sustainable angle uh, and yeah. uh, other, other ways as well. So that's another cool thing that's interesting. I love Oxford. Yeah, well I love that distillery yeah. too. So yeah. that's a, so I've been just because I just came back from there. I keep using them as an example, but they are fascinating. <laughs> uh, cheers! Thank you for indulging my deep dive there. I will I will return the floor to Joshua. Yeah, no that that, that was that was great. A, a question has been floating around my head, and, and it isn't it doesn't have anything to do with music, Jason. I I, I do apologize. Oof. I forgot to put my basses. We're I was, back I was to farts, line up aren't some we? of my bass guitars back here for the conversation, but I, I failed us this day. Um, you know, I, I had a conversation with um, a friend, Kurt Maitland. You, you probably know that name. Um, I know oh, Kurt very well. Yes. Yeah. So he he had me on this class talking about independent bottling, and the class, the date of that class perfectly lined up with Gordon McPhail's announcement that they were looking to move away from independent bottling, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Which definitely shaped the way this conversation <laughs> was going. But the question was thrown at me. Given, given what Gordon McPhail's announcement, which is a, it's a pretty large announcement, at the same time, not a very large announcement. Yes, they're moving away from it, but they're going to be at it for the next 100 years. So, you know, it <laughs> depends on, on which way you look at it. But, but, but the question finally came to, given all the things that are going on within the industry, right? right um, 
Scottish producers right now really hoping that tariffs drop in India, India opens up, parts of China opens up, right? So they're holding back stock, which is increasing the costs of casks on the secondary market through the brokers. And then you add mm. on top of that this this reemergence of cask investment schemes, the, the one that ruined so many families in the 80s, is back again to ruin yet another series of families. It's made it really difficult for a small independent bottler like, like us who have been at it for 12 years now. And the question that finally came to me was, given all that's going on right now, would you start an independent bottling company today? <laughs> and my answer was, I didn't even have to think. I said, no. I said, we, 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 we wouldn't do it. There, the barrier to entry is just too darn high to do it. And so I pose a different question to you. Given all that's been going on, how do you find the courage to start an independent bottling company right now in what's really a difficult time to do such a thing? You're, uh, that's a very important question. Uh, you're absolutely right. And you've kind of covered everything that the things that I've very much been thinking about in yeah. terms of what's happening within the industry. Um, I'll give, just because you mentioned him, I will give a quick shout out to Kurt Maitland because he was responsible for me getting uh, a book deal, my first book deal. Oh, wow. Uh, Whoa. So I wrote, I wrote a book about, uh, so this plugging myself some more. I'm using Kurt to plug myself almost right now. But, um, <laughs> Hashtag humble uh, Yeah, that's, that's precisely what I'm doing now. Forgive me. Forgive my arrogance. But Kurt... Very kindly, out of nowhere, recommended me to a publisher that he works with, and so I, I got my first book deal out of them. So, yep. so I very much owe Kurt pretty much a lifetime of uh, wow. dreams. But, anyways, awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. So, from so we went into it. The reason why we went into it is just simply we wanted to take this idea forwards, and we are hoping. Mm. That because the idea is interesting and what and we think different, that'll keep it going. Mm. Um, you're absolutely right. It's not easy. Prices are just hard. Oh, and not is and yeah. not only is it that prices are a bit crazy now, it's that uh, it's simply that there's just no stock. Yeah. Uh, so so it's that combination of everything. We do one of the things I am hoping on, and I and I've had some encouraging conversations because right now what we've gotten we've gotten through uh, middlemen we trust, but mm -hmm. you know they tell us you know here's our price. Yes, we know. You let us know if you want to pull the trigger. <laughs> it's like yep, I get it. Yeah. Um, but we're hoping that we can work directly with distilleries who yep. get it yep. and are willing to be like, okay, yeah, you guys are all right. You won't. You don't need much. Here you go. Yep. Uh, I hope we can do this because that will be very helpful. <laughs> One of the problems we just ran into was, so this whiskey, we're able to retail it at 65 pounds a bottle uh, for 13, 13-year-old 13 blended malt, single sherry cask, but 50 CL bottle. So uh, it's okay. not okay. – so the price mm – -hmm. so – we think that's a fair price. Yeah. It's a price that reflects the quality of the liquid, and we do think it's quality liquid. Combined with the fact that you're getting this music thing out of it in this really holistic package, sure. I recognize it's not the cheapest thing out there. Uh, we think it's worth it. 
Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this. Yep. So you get it, right? The moment mm-hmm. I say 50 CL, you go, oh, wait a second. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so we had a situation, for example, and we think we think it'll be worth it. We, we And also just the fact because we run events regularly, we're about to do a, a run at the Edinburgh Fringe doing like a theatrical blues whiskey tasting. We're going to include our whiskey in that lineup. Mm-hmm. So we're able to get a lot of people to try it. And if they feel good about it, then they'll buy a bottle. And hopefully that's how we'll be able to, to make it work in a tricky climate. Yep. But then I was in a situation where I was talking to a very lovely uh, European importer, and he loved the idea, loved loved all. We were talking about how to make the numbers work, and he said, well, let me go talk to some shops out here uh, in Germany, see what they think. But And the shops kind of said, cool story, bro, but not at this price. <laughs> and the reason why the Germans are saying this is because the Germans are 10, 15 years behind, where the German bottlers got a bunch of casks yeah. when they were still cheap from really cool distilleries yeah. and they bottle them now yeah. and they're able to still, you can still get, so if you go out to Germany actually and go to like a good, and there's lots of amazing whiskey shops out in Germany, for example, um, you go out to Germany and other European countries too. You go out there, you get all these insane indie bottlings for like 60 euros. Yeah. Yeah. You don't get that in the UK anymore. I don't know you, I, and I'd be curious to know, what it's and, and I guess though I guess your listeners already know, but I'm I'm curious to know what's it like to be an indie bottler working with Scotch in the U.S. Because I'm I'm curious about that. The U.K. is what I know, despite my American accent. Um, so the so that's an interesting thing. So it makes the European side of things tricky for us outside of just shipping to fans that are out in Europe. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're we're essentially so the short answer to your very important question is. Uh, yeah, it's hard. We hope we can make it work because we're special. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never felt more like a bank manager in charge of somebody's business loan than that last statement. Like, whoa, okay. I believe in you. I believe in you. It's, uh, essentially, on the dotted so we line. Think, we think, I think it's because we're, we're, we're going out there ourselves with our events. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how this is going to work. If we yeah. were just kind of just trying to market it in kind of your typical ways, Probably we'd be in trouble, uh, is how is what I think. I don't know. So how about how about you guys, and how are you out, and how has that changed how you're doing your bottlings, and how has that changed how you guys do business? Yeah, it's so you, you can you can put the reporter on a on a musical band, but you can't take the reporting chops out of him. <laughs> like look at the way he's just turned this interview <laughs> back around. Yeah, like he's writing an article on single cast nation in America. Yeah, I'll answer this through another Kurt Maitland story. So I did a tasting with his group a week prior to the conversation that I that I had with him about independent bottling. And it was highlighting um, three bottlings from single cast nation and three bottlings from the Impex collection. Impex is the is the importer that I that I work with. And it was from the Impex collection, there was a rum, there was a Pandaren, and then there was an M&H. And then from the SCN side of things, there was a rum, there was a Macmira, and then there was another whiskey. I forget what it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't scotch. And the point that I was trying to make was... American consumers better get used to more independent bottlers releasing things other than scotch whiskey 
because the mm-hmm. prices become such that if you didn't buy shit even even three years ago, uh, the prices that we're seeing now makes it cost prohibitive to bring the stock in unless you have direct relationships with distilleries, which which, which we do. And, and we continue to have that and we'll continue to release whiskeys through those relationships. But because of the U.S. three-tiered system, everything we do is already 30% higher than everywhere else. So we always, you know, buying at, at bottom dollar or bottom pound, I guess, really isn't a thing at the moment unless you're distillery direct. So as a bottler, we're, we're shifting a bit of focus. Hopefully I'm not talking too much out of school. It's, it's you know, right now in the U.S., there is a, a boom with American single malt whiskey, and, and that's really mm. special to us, and it's a movement that, that, that we're really getting behind because there's some special shit happening, and, and we want to highlight it. And, and when we got into this in the first place, it was... We were bloggers. We were bloggers who cared about Imperial or, you know, uh, or, or Le Chig or, you know, whatever. And, and we were proselytizing these, these distilleries, these brands. And that part of us never went away. That part of us stays true as independent bottlers. So until things start to change um, in scotch whiskey, we're going to start shifting our focus. Maybe we add in some more rum. Maybe we add in some more single grain, right? There's still some deals to be had. And and at the end of the day, for us as independent bottlers, our job is to provide new flavors to our consumers. And you can continue to do that through scotch whiskey, but you can do that through many other styles of whiskey and other styles of spirit as well. And so, yeah. yeah, so hopefully that, that answers your question, uh, maybe bigger picture than just to what, what's going on with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I wanted to spin that one around as well, Felipe, to, to ask you, the way you're describing the, the label, the bottle, the brand, the whiskey, the experience, the music, it almost sounds like direct consumer would be your particular friend, has Brexit kind of put the kibosh on you being able to bottle this in the UK, store it in the UK, and then ship it direct to consumers around Europe and the US, as you mentioned earlier? We're too stupid to know better, honestly, mm. uh, is the answer. Um, it's that we have the people who bottle it, and then we've got the partners who are able to then just ship it out wherever it needs to get shipped out. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, we we we're so we're so small scale. I mean, mm-hmm. this first release is a thousand bottles. The rum I think is going to be four hundred bottles. It's a number. Um, it's a big number for it's us, number. but for for other yeah. you know for other, it's a tiny drop compared to other uh, to others as well. So really, and, and we are going into this aware that probably most of our sales are going to be UK sales, just because that's where we do our work as a band and with mm-hmm. our events. Sure. Um, so there'll be, you know, we do have people that we know out in Europe or the U.S. that we think will be interested and may, might want to push it forwards. And now that we can do the U.S. in a way that's not ridiculous, yeah. um, the hopefully, you know, we can get more of a relationship with uh, U.S. Uh, consumers. But, yeah, just we have <laughs> partners that can send it out there and we'll see what happens. Most of our sales will be the U.K., so where can one buy this? 
I've been listening for this answer mm-hmm. myself and haven't heard it. And so I'm sure the listeners are listening carefully as well. It means that I'm not doing my job of coming out here and plugging <laughs> my own product, really. I'm too busy talking about, let's just let's talk about Pete, guys. Like, that's what's really interesting here. Um, we derailed you. We apologize. No, no, no. So, so, we, um, so we're working through a retailer called The Spirit Co. Uh, and they have set up a very impressive uh, delivery network, being able to get things... In a, and they do it legally, too. Um, they're able to get things to countries that normally it is tricky to get those things to those countries, too, um, in a way that's not prohibitively expensive. So okay. mm-hmm. what yep. it would be in, uh, actually is, is that you would go to um, – you can go to our website. You click on the shop link, and there will be two links there. One will be kind of the link that we've been using where you're buying through our uh, – normal UK retail partner, uh, an indie bottler called Dramfool, who are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and But but then it'll, there'll also be an option that if you're in the US, Poland, where I live and where I'm at now, and a couple other tricky countries, go to the Spirit Co. because they'll be able to sort you out. Um, okay. And so essentially okay. between, between what Dramfool can ship and what the Spirit Co. can ship, we can cover a lot of countries, including tricky ones. Um, and sure. now the US, which I'm really like we're really pleased about we weren't actually expecting to be able to do the u.s uh with this first release we were hoping to eventually do it but yep. uh that we could do it comfortably uh with this first release is, is something we're actually quite pleased about awesome well best of luck best of luck cracking those markets yeah. man yeah we'll see we'll see there there were two other things that i wanted to mention really quickly and they're, they're going to be short um I don't know if you know this or remember this. Maybe you do know this. Uh, but both you and Jason were made keepers on the same night this past October. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're a group of three keepers. Mm-hmm. Lovely. There you go. Keep it Rock on. Yeah, I like, I like that. <laughs> That's I like why that. I rolled up one trouser leg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, and, and then two final questions. And Jason, if you, if, you have, if you have something, please. Uh, maybe this is more of a statement. Whenever you need a punk prog band with influences of Zappa, Iggy Pop, Captain Beefheart, The Kinks, and Talking Heads, give me a ring because we're happy to join you. And if you're like, man, that music's terrible. It'll never fit with any of my whiskey. That's understood too. But most importantly, this is fresh off the ground. What, what has you excited in these next few years. I mean, you're already talking about exciting things. The fact that you're going to be able to ship to the U.S. straight out the gate is really exciting. But do you have other things that are on the horizon for, for rhythm and booze that that you're really excited about and, and want to share with the listeners? This record label is it. It's, it's our way of approaching, again, puke in the mouth, a multi-sensory experience holistically. Um, and, and we think we've, we think we're doing so, and we're, we're, we are putting all our love and devotion into it, which therefore means we're not some gimmick. At least I don't think we are because we, we have put a lot of thought and, and work into it for, for a long time. Uh, so, so this is what we want to do. And I think then the scope to develop it is we're starting with great music, with great single casks. Can't go wrong with that. Uh, but, I, I, yeah, I would love to do larger scale stuff where you can look at collaborations around uh, 
blends, custom blends. You mentioned like that. that. I think that would be yeah, yeah. that would be my dream. My dream would be blending to the music. Either you blend a single malt or a or a blend. I think that's that would be the ult, my ultimate goal, where the whiskey's customized to the music, yeah. as opposed to curated. Curated is great. We'll always be doing that. Um, but to, to do that, oh, just, just the idea, you know, oh, oh. It's a- <laughs> um, and also I've always wanted excuse to do some, some serious blending too, uh, cause I think it's such a fascinating art. And then in terms of the music side, we, in terms of the band itself, the, the biggest thing we got going on is we're doing a two and a half week run at the Edinburgh Fringe, hmm. uh, the largest arts festival in the world, really. Um, we, uh, we got a show called two guys, three drams <laughs> and, uh, kind of does what it says on the tin. We lay down some tunes. We've got three whiskeys, uh, and we do uh, sort of a a, a, theat- a theater show, interactive theater show where we play blues tunes, but also educate people on how to sound clever about whiskey so they know how to sound clever whenever they're drinking whiskey for the rest of their <laughs> lives, even if they don't know what they're talking about. Um, we also uh, are showcasing some really interesting whiskeys as well that people wouldn't normally think mm. about buying or trying. So now they get to try it, and that's something that's quite cool. And so we think there's scope to do more with that theatrical element. We did, we've done the show before. We did it last year. We sold every single ticket on a 10-night run. Wow. So now we're doing, so we did 10 shows last year. Now we're doing 34 shows, two shows a day wow. for 17 days um, this year. Holy uh, so I'll, I'll be doing, I'll be performing cause then we got some other bands that are performing at the fringe. So I'm doing something like 45 gigs in 19 nights. I think it is uh, <laughs> looking at something like that. Oh so yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think that math and, works. Wow. How many people are you? <laughs> are you, um, are you alone? Three people because you got places to be. <laughs> yeah, this is, and it's actually, I've, uh, I've done more at the fringe than this before. My record is 103 gigs in 23 nights in 2016 and I was oh producing 11 blues-based shows at the Fringe as well. I don't know how I did it. Wow. But yeah, yeah. Wow. Some people do some insane things at the Fringe. Uh, somehow you find the stamina. Uh, <laughs> I guess, so Joshua, you'll, you'll relate to this. So, you know, when you're hustling yep. as a musician, you know, what you want more than anything is you just want a gig, man. You just want a gig. Yep. Like, yeah, sure, there's this whole business element and trying to get your music out there, but really, you just want gigs. So the Fringe yeah. is... The fringe is here are all the gigs you could possibly want stuffed down your throat, process it and deal. And so it's the it's the gigging musicians equivalent of those Catholic flagellants that would get on their knees and flail themselves <laughs> as they crawl to the some days. Yeah, venerated statue somewhere. And so that's kind of what the fringe has been for me, that this kind of combination, agony and ecstasy of just gigging. Um, and so this is so then so this this year will be no exception, which will be fun. Um and the, but yeah, so, so with this, it's, it's, we think there's more scope to develop that theater element. Yeah, so, yeah. uh, before I started humble bragging more about myself, which I've done <laughs> slightly too much, I think over the course of this interview <laughs> with apologies, I, uh, I didn't intend to, I promise, but we, um, the, we did, uh, the show for Glen Scotia. So we'd done it in the fringe before, but oh, then nice. Glen Scotia asked us to come in and to do the show, but oriented to Glen Scotia whiskeys. And we said, sure, that sounds great. Let's do it. And we did it. And it actually ended up being, we knew it was going to be good. It ended up being much better even than we thought because it created this really intimate, intense um, 
experience uh, where kind of the whiskey was this really interesting go-between. Mm. Where in the theater show, the whiskey is that go-between for an interaction with the audience anyways, and it's it's brilliant. With the Glen Scotia, because you're at the distillery, people have come for this. Mm-hmm. It, it was something that became somehow, to everyone's surprise, uh, more intense than anticipated. So I think there's a lot of... I'd like to do more of that. Hmm. Uh, I'd like to explore that more. Uh, and and we've got some things lined up uh, where we can do that. So, but in general, and, and then also, yeah, we've got some other projects on the go, but wow. that's, I think life, I think we very much think deeply about how live performance can be used as a way to enhance the whiskey drinking experience and then vice versa, the experience of how can you use the whiskey drinking experience to enhance and create even more of a bond between performer and audience and just simply create something for the overall group mm. that includes both. Wow. Hey, have you have you spoken with Hansa Fringa about, about this? I yeah. imagine. Okay. Yes. Yeah. If yes. there's anyone you're speaking yes. with, it's Hans. Yeah. Yes. Instant head um, nod on that one. <laughs> yes. Um, so Hans, Hans has been kind of ahead of the curve of everybody, I would say. He yep. was definitely one of the first uh, to explore it. Uh, Dave Broom also has done some fascinating yep. work. So Dave Broom's been informed by uh, work from Charles Spence. He's the Oxford professor that's been using, looking at the neurology of flavor, I guess, and how mm. you can change, how changing contexts of how you consume whiskey specifically changes perceptions of whiskey. So mm. we do that with our work. Dave has done some amazing things uh, with that. Um, I One of the best tastings I've ever been to was him. It was Dave. It was just 15 minutes. He did it in 15 minutes with one dram, and he was playing soundscapes through kind of uh, wireless disco headphones yeah. and he was having us hold up cards with flavor notes as the f- whiskey changed the same whiskey same dram that was changing with the different soundscapes he played we even knew it's not like he was trying to fool us he told us what the trick yeah. was in advance yeah. it still worked <laughs> wow. it was nuts and he did it in 15 minutes it was fascinating um, and then uh, Neil Ridley uh, yep. does some awesome work so Neil Ridley uh, so we did our Think Glen Scotia Neil Ridley did a fascinating Think Glen Scotia where with a, a, a very good producer a guy called Dean Honer I think his name is they brought in the best of the best microphones uh, into the Glen Scotia distillery they recorded as many sounds of that distillery as possible they even have the uh, Josh do you know about this one the the microphone the shape of a human head that costs like $15,000 and it perceives oh, sound I waves the same way this. the human ear does oh okay ah okay okay yeah. it's some insane some insane piece of gear that is okay. so sensitive and can account for 360 degree sound inputs and all this sort of thing so they did all of that. They recorded tons of sounds, and they created like a soundscape of the production of whiskey, about 15 minutes long, the length it takes to enjoy a dram, and you're hearing the production process throughout oh, this wow. soundscape in order. Yeah. Um, using the sounds that they recorded, but then what they also did is they used those found sounds, mm-hmm. formed them into a workable uh, backing track, and they brought in a Scottish singer-songwriter who wrote a song for this project and they recorded her singing it um, into steel wa- into a steel washback at mm. the distillery um, so there's this natural, <laughs> natural insane reverb. washback yeah. reverb yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they released a single 
so and the, using the sounds of the distillery and her singing into a washback. So so that's another. So again, this is the beginning. This is the beginning. We're gonna see so much more. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we asked you what you're excited about. You you lived up to the advance yeah. billing. That was that was perfect. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just that we're. It's just I don't know. I think for me, part of the reason I I really do love whiskey and love working in it is it has allowed me personally and professionally Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. explore whatever it is I want to explore in a way that is interesting, in a way that takes. That's just the way that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's that. It's interesting. Yep. So you just keep at it. And if, if I stop being interested, then I'll probably move out of this industry. I don't think I'll ever stop being interested, as I'm sure it is for you guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. It, it's it's funny. I, I often think about the connection of music and, and whiskey, not the way that you do. Um, and it's been great to hear how, how, you, how you think about that connection. But, you know, when, when I've had the longest day at work the the best escape is to shut off my brain and just let muscle memory take over and play music and get creative in there and you don't have to think you're just you're just doing it and whiskey can do that too whiskey can take you into that place the best whiskey will shut everything out and have you focus on this and can even take you to different moments in time, different memories. And, and the fact that you're connecting the two in, in this really thoughtful way, I think is, uh, I think it's pretty special. And that's, you know, Jason and I received so many, uh, press releases and no offense to the people that send the press releases to us, but we typically say, uh, it's not, it's not what we're looking to, to cover, but, but yours was a name that was familiar and, uh, and, and one that we covered many of your stories and, the project just sounded awesome, and uh, and so just really thankful to to have you on. Thankful for your time and in, in the conversation today. Yeah, thanks so much. No, thank you guys. Really, what a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. I'm just glad to hear that you think it's got legs to it, and you know, it's in general, it's just always fun to have these kinds of geeky conversations. Yeah, isn't it? So yeah, uh, exactly. really, really appreciate it, and. Uh, it's a pleasure really awesome Awesome. cheers man cheers man you know what I had in my head just before we went on into the interview and you you were talking you really highlighted this point of uh, uh, you know me being Connecticut you being in in Virginia and and Felipe Mm -hmm. being in Poland in Gdansk to be specific is I, I had that uh, that Bowie song in my head, Let's Gdansk, which is one of my favorite Bowie songs of, of all time. Um, listen, uh, <laughs> sorry. I, I told you I just sit on these jokes, Jason, and they're really I'm, shitty jokes. I'm, which trying, is I I'm, tr- I'm trying to make a laugh come out of my throat. Let's but I, just, I just can't. I'm just shaking my head and looking out my own window here and just wondering... How did my life get to here? Did you ever go Gdanskiing <laughs> in the rain? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Just you are so ready for fifty, have, my friend. Have you gone uh, Gdanskiing with the devil in the pale moonlight? All right, I'll stop. In all, <laughs> do you ask do you ask that of all your victims? <laughs> 
in all seriousness, Felipe Schreiberg, thank you so much for your time. It, it really was a pleasure talking with Felipe and getting to learn, you know, about some of the things he's got going on. But it was really cool connecting some of those dots. You know, I remember you, me, Jess, uh, and Swede Scott being on Isla during the phase in 2019 and going over to Lagavulin and seeing this drum set that, you know, had a had a, a whiskey <laughs> barrel there and and talking with Felipe and asking him about that. And I just... I I just had never put two and two together that that was him that was his right. band and so yeah it was it was really cool finally connecting with Felipe absolutely and as we talked about in the interview you know to, to simply be at Blair Castle with him to see him on the night of the keepers to be able to go past him and say hey 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 we we want to get you on One Nation Under Whiskey yeah. and for him to say yeah 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 reach out and now here we are. A number of months later, uh, <laughs> making that happen. It's, you know, as, as much as I did say before we went into the recording, here we are, Virginia, Connecticut, Poland, and it all came together so easily. Yeah. Um, once we started planning it, it came together really quickly. It just took us a number of months to get to that beginning of the plan. Yeah. But what, what a joy, what a great conversation. What a whiskey guy. Even having that University of St. Andrews connection, and mm-hmm. and then going mm-hmm. on to write about his his dissertation on sustainable practices uh, in whiskey distilling. So, yeah, he's been, you know, he's been plowing that whiskey furrow for uh, for a, a good number of years now as well. So I, I love it when we keep encountering people who who have been doing the same as us. You know, yeah, passion into you know freelance into gigs here. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Combining a passion for music with a passion for whiskey. Yeah, I'm excited to see where he goes with the record label. I think that's, uh, you know. I, think it's, I, I love the idea. I, th- I think it's super smart. You know, what a way to connect two things that, that hit people on a multitude of levels. And, and those two things quite often intersect in 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 very cool ways so yeah i think i think it's i think it's smart he's he's been in this business long enough and has tasted enough whiskeys that you know him and his his uh his his business partner slash bandmate i'm i have no doubt they're they're selecting some some good whiskey to be putting out so I'm looking forward to that. He's sending us some small samples as well. So I was hoping the samples were going to arrive for this episode so we could taste mm. along with it. But unfortunately, um, they're not. So maybe in a future episode, we'll get to just follow up here and give you um, our thoughts on what this blended malt is doing. Uh, as easy it is to host international interviews, still takes a long time to get physical samples moved between countries so so it goes i'm I'm glad we got him on the record glad we started talking about the project uh and and glad we could kind of highlight his history as well so yeah time very well spent and very enjoyably spent I want to hit a couple of bits of news, just really short, because I do realize that um, we had a, 
a slightly longer interview with Felipe. And there was a, an email that I wanted to, to bring up, which I think is sort of um, the timing of it is, is pretty good. Um, I, I certainly have a saved PDF that I would like to bring to the attention of our listeners oh, as well. Oh, I, I wonder if it's the same. Anyway. History, history, read all about it. Life story of Playboy Penny. History, history. Extra, extra, read all about it. Me and I Playboy in trouble again. You and I, uh, earlier this year, and I'm going to be talking U.S. specific right now. So apologies for our, for our overseas listeners here. We will start talking about some of our ROW stuff. Um, but I want to talk U.S. specific. So at the beginning of the year, you and I launched uh, a, a series of bottlings online, uh, which there, we still have some stock on some of the bottlings um, that are there, I think, I mean, what were they? They were our North British. We may have a few bottles of that left. That was the 14-year-old and, and heavily shared. Was it 14? Yeah. I think North British is showing sold out on the website. Ah, okay. So there, there you go. So that one's sold out. I take that back. Um, but we've, we've got some Mac <laughs> But Mira. the French brandy. The There's French... very few bottles of yeah. French brandy sitting on our website. So a few That French... has sold so nicely. Just ticked along right through the summer. Love the people who just keep... Buying it, replenishing it, telling friends they get a bottle. It's been nice to watch that tick along. Well, what's interesting is when when people start connecting the dots as to which producer it likely is, that same vintage bottling would be close to $1,300 rather than the 195 that we're charging for ours. So they say, oh, wait a second, maybe I do need that second bottle. So... So that's been nice, but we've got some of our, our MacMira remaining, some of our Paul John peated remaining, a bit of our Othrusk, 26-year-old. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep, a few bottles of that as well. Yeah, a few cases. So, so those are some of the bottlings that we released a bit earlier this year. And I know I'm leaving some out, right? I mean, this is the, the, the incomplete Joshua list, and, I, and I'm okay living in that world. Uh, we then, sometime around April, May released our retail release number nine, which had five different bottlings, uh, including our Wolf Island Take Two, which is a marriage of six casks, and our Kalila Seven, which was a marriage of two casks, our Inchgower Ten, marriage of two casks, and so on. And the news that I'm about to break now is come the end of August, we're looking at bottling four more casks, and this is going to be... American whiskeys, uh, specifically American single malts plus a bourbon. So we'll have our six-year-old Woodenville bourbon barrel or bourbon that uh, that our, our dear Elijah Ammon selected and we approved did, wholeheartedly because it's excellent. Um, one of our Westwards, we, we have two of those mm-hmm. barrels, but we're just releasing one for now. Uh, and that one is a also a six-year-old, if I'm not mistaken. I would have to check my notes. Yeah, uh, but that's with some special malt going on there. That one's going to be exciting. Uh, our Westland, which is get this, nine years old, <laughs> peated, that I do know. peated nine year old in a first fill Pinot de Chirant cask, and that is, I mean, all of this is insane. But I'm a Pinot de Chirant kind of fanatic, so I'm really excited about that. Obviously. 
And then what is our fourth one again, Jason? Local to me. That's our VDC, baby. So that's our five-year-old Virginia Distillery Company. Five years in an STR cask. And that one. Exactly. Man, that one sang when we tasted that cast sample, and it's tasting great now. So, so absolutely. Oh, for, and I, I think I've said this previously on the podcast. For anybody who supported the VDC Sherry Butt, we have thought long and hard, and and tasted far and wide, along with our friends at VDC, to get a good sequel. So we're not talking Temple of Doom here. This is <laughs> we have just jumped straight to the Crusade. Shit, what's the third movie called? Last Crusade, but it is not our last, last one. Crusade. Last Crusade, last so Crusade. That's the thing. I didn't want to say last. Are you suggesting that we can even? We can, we can even. even. That's not Boom, odd. Shakalaka. That's not odd at all. So that's going to be really, really exciting. And I know a lot of people have been asking about our wild turkeys. Those are yep. coming, and we will be bottling those, uh, and we'll be announcing those shortly. But that's sort of a, a watch this space kind of a thing. Yeah, um, the, the thing I would say with, with you listing all of those bottles there, and you know, it's a number of bottles, not too many sitting in the warehouse uh, behind the scenes, but to reward people who support Single Cast Nation, thank you. The, the lottery for turkeys will be pulled from buyer lists. So if, if you're new to us, you've heard about us, Please go ahead, get a purchase under your belt. Make yourself eligible for these big turkey lotteries uh, that we have going forward. So, And it could be anything. We have bottles on our website right now that are $75, right? So, yeah, we really want to protect the nation members who have been supporting us, whether it's from year one or from from last month. If you've placed your order and you're a nation member who supports us, we want to support you and make you eligible for the lottery. If you're if you're only here for the turkey, well, you got to be here for more than the turkey, right? I mean, you support your local liquor store to get access to some of the right. more allocated right. stuff. Well, you know, su- support us and we'll support you. So, so that was the news that I wanted to bring up. And and, and again, we'll, we'll be reaching out by email. We'll be reaching out on our Facebook page. You, you know, if, if you're a member, please check us out, uh, facebook.com slash singlecastnation. If you're a member, we'll let you into the group. The last thing that I'll say here is we're going to have a special promotion going on mm. that will mm-hmm. come just a mm-hmm. bit after the launch of of this episode so keep an eye on your on your inboxes keep an eye on our facebook group uh for details on that um that's really yeah, all the news i wanted to say was there anything else am i missing anything jason yeah i i was just gonna get us out of the news segment by circling back to what you said at the beginning which is there is going to be row information coming very soon we'll have jess back on to talk about that i think that was very successful last time we did it and we listen very carefully nation in the u.s keeps saying more scotch online more scotch online we've got some more scotch coming online and they are very special casks so we listen continually we've got three distinct streams to populate We've got U.S. retail, we've got U.S. online, and we've got global retail. And we are trying to keep 
as many people happy in as many countries and as many states uh-huh. and those who buy exclusively online. So, but yeah, there's there's some good stuff coming down the pipeline. And again, bottling plans are afoot. We work diligently behind the scenes to keep things ticking along. And it doesn't always show up front, but stick with us. We've had a hot, hot summer. <laughs> And we're going to have a good, good fall and, and head into the winter strong. So. Beauty. I have said my piece. So the email that I have, just switching gears here, is from one... Dan Grison, and I have somebody else. Beauty, and and I bring up Dan Grison's email because he reached out to us uh, a little bit after Paul McDonough from the Bon Accord in, in Glasgow mm-hmm, had passed mm-hmm. away, and we had asked people, if you have a story, mm-hmm. please reach out to us. Let us know. We want to share it. You know, so many people have had a connection to Paul and, and want to talk about it. And, and so this is one that, that came up and, and I wanted to bring it to, to your attention, Jason, and, and to the listeners. And, you know, Dan has been such an avid listener of the podcast and such a strong supporter of the nation for a good long while. And, and so I'm happy to read this one. So. Perfect. The subject of this email is the Bon Accord, when a place is more than a place, which is such a lovely Mm -hmm. way to to launch into this. So he says, hello, JJ and Jay. Well, I'm a bit behind on my One Nation Under Whiskey listening, so I'm sending this note a little late. While I was not fortunate enough to meet Paul and therefore don't have a story about him, I would like to take a few minutes to share my story of my trip to the Bon. I'll try to make it brief, but sometimes I suffer from being a bit long-winded, something I know you know nothing about. <laughs> Last year, I made a trip to Scotland and had one day to spend in Glasgow. I had a lot of the usual tourist destinations on a crammed itinerary, including plans to end the day at the Bon Accord. After a very long day, I was tired and had an early wake-up call to catch my flights. And as the day drew close to an end, I toyed with the idea of skipping the bond. However, my heart convinced my brain that I could sleep on the plane and didn't fly across the ocean to stay in a hotel room. Boy, am I glad I did. For me, there's no better way to get a feel for a place you are visiting than to walk through it. So I ditched the public transportation, walked the 1.5 mile trek, walked in and sat at the bar. I took a few minutes to soak it all in and ordered a quick dram. I'm not one to (laughs) randomly strike up a conversation, so I just sat there for a while and enjoyed the atmosphere. I sat in front of some crazy contraption that had the bartender pumping like mad to get beer into a glass. (laughs) My first thought was, quote, man, they have more modern ways to get beer from a keg. But I figured I'd just ask what it is. The very busy bartender took the time to explain it was the beer engine 
and how it worked. The style of beer it dispensed and walked me through all of the beers. He offered samples of anything I wanted, and eventually I settled on one I liked and ordered a pint. Another person behind the bar came over and chatted with me for a bit, then pointed to my beer and said, that one's on me. How nice is that? A just quick pause. Like, that is just pure <laughs> the bond, right? I thanked him for his hospitality, and we started chatting about whiskey. Come to find out, the man being so kind to me was Thomas. I told him I had my eye on the Arbeg 1975, but with my budget taking a beating already, I was hesitant at 70 pounds a dram. He pulled up the bottle on an auction site and showed me um, what it was going for now and I, and said if he replaces that bottle, he would have to charge three times what it is now. <laughs> but he does not raise the price mid-bottle. He charges according to what the bottle cost him. So yeah, I bought one and a sample to take home. <laughs> so we bought two drams. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, Thomas was so busy, so I started to chat with the two gentlemen to my right, Alistair and John. They were two lovely retired chaps and spent much of their night regaling me with stories and sharing their pride in their country and in the bond. And when I asked what their favorite dram was, one quickly repi- replied, Scappa. I can honestly say I've never had anything from Scappa <laughs> when he found that out immediately offered to buy me a dram so he could share with me what he loves. <laughs> I can honestly say I don't remember if I liked it, loved it, or hated it, but at that moment, it was a wonderful drink, which I thoroughly enjoyed and had so much fun to share with my new friends. He's got a bit more. He Actually, he's got quite a bit more um, there. But I'll just end it with with sort of the ending here. You know, he goes on to say just how much of an impression the bond made at him, which he didn't have to say. It's obvious that it did. Mm-hmm. And he just says, um, I don't expect this note to be read on the podcast. I was just feeling a bit sentimental after listening to both of you talk about Paul and his bar and needed to share my story with you all. Cheers to you, Joshua, Jason, and Jess. I know losing a friend is not easy is not an easy thing. And my condolences to you all, Dan. Yeah, perfect, Dan. Absolutely perfect. Yeah. Cheers to that. Uh, in all sincerity, it is. It's interesting to me. We get a number of emails from people who say, "I don't expect you to read this, but I just wanted to say it, or I just wanted to write it, or yeah. I just wanted." to put it in someone's inbox. Yeah. You know, it, it's really incredible to me. And, you know, we, we always mention Ollie's name, but Ollie's a funny one because he'll say, yeah, I go through the part of my week where I listen to you both, but you don't get to hear me when I talk back to you. <laughs> and then I go through the part of my week where I get to talk to you and you hear me and you respond in real time. And it's really weird. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I know that through this podcast, we or our podcast, we, we occupy an interesting spot in people's lives mm. where mm-hmm. there's something so very intimate to either listening to us when you're driving somewhere and it's just the three of us in your car or you've got us in your ears with your, your AirPods or your earbuds, whatever you wear. Like, it's so intimate to mm. be speaking directly into somebody's ears. And and as much as that means a lot to our listeners, it means a lot to us as well. Yes, it does. Like, we, yeah. 
we don't take that lightly. We love that intimacy. The fact we can spend 15, 20 minutes at the start of today's episode rambling on about Indiana Jones and knowing that <laughs> that'll be appreciated by the people who look for this podcast podcast is is tremendous and, and means the world to us. So, you know, I was just sitting here basking in such a positive report from Dan about the Scottish people and the people who are in the bond and the people who run the bond and yeah. makes me incredibly proud to say that's in Glasgow and I'm born and raised not far from right there. And we do take it seriously to evangelise whiskey and proselytise and buy a dram for somebody to say, I enjoy this. I hope you enjoy yeah, this. Right. Yep. So good. So good. Yep. I have I have fired up the PDF machine. All right. And uh, I, I have a telegram to report. So um, so this comes to us uh, by way of Instagram. Right. And and so I know you don't expect me to be reading out an Instagram no, I post. Don't. But, but uh, this was very kindly sent to us by Johnny Baldery, uh, who looks after us. So, so thanks to Johnny for Thank that. Thank you, Johnny. Um, th- this comes from... Um, Whiskey of Life, which is it's that throwback, and I haven't been on social media in the longest time, but th- this person only identifies themselves through Whiskey of Life. So <laughs> here we are. If you're on social media, you will know who that is. I am not. I do not. <laughs> so great, great note. Hey, guys, I listened to your podcast for Paul McDonough earlier today. I had the pleasure of working at the Bon as a 20-year-old exchange student at Glasgow Uni in 2007-2008. He was one of the best bosses I have ever had. I returned to Scotland a number of times and always went to the Bon. He always met me and chatted with me for hours. Mm. Every year I sent him a Christmas card. So here's the story. We're in the barn for dinner on a Sunday before we head out the next day. Paul meets us for a drink before dinner and a session after. <laughs> after dinner, my family head to the bar for a drink and my wife is standing in the corner by the game that always stood there. I know exactly what he's talking about, <laughs> the puggy we call them. Yep. Standing next to the puggy. Um, I see her start to move toward the gantry and she reaches behind the bar and pulls out a Christmas card I had sent him with my daughters on it. She asks why he still had it hanging in May, and he said, Steve is a part of this bar, his daughters are too. Anytime I get a picture, I will put it up. And then Steve here says, such a special man. When I started blogging on Whiskey and Reviewing, he was one of my first followers and supportive all the way. I will miss him. We didn't talk much in recent years, but every time we did, it was a joy. And that's, as I say, signed at Whiskey underscore of underscore life. And it echoes exactly what we said uh, in our extra extra about Paul. We could go three months between seeing him, we could go nine months, we could go 15 months. He was still Paul, we would still be Jason and or Joshua, depending on the arrangement. (laughs) And we drammed, we chatted, we caught up, we got our New Year pour from him. He he had details in his head that I can't even get my head around. Uh, From seeing people, employing people, working with people, 
championing whiskey with people. Yeah, mm. really, really special man, as Whiskey of Life says here. And we will miss him also. One of a kind. There you go. I'll tell you, I, I don't think that there's a, a, a better way to, to end this segment. So, Jason, thank you for reading that. Whiskey of Life, thank you so much for, for writing that in and, and sharing that story. And again, if 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 you're listening and, and you have a story you've been sitting on and you want to share it, you know, my guess is we're gonna receive a few of these and we're we're happy to we're happy to be reading that. So if you have a story to share, or if you simply just wanna write in, or if you have a question, or if you've got a story that you want to share with us for us to highlight on extra extra. You can reach out to us, questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. Of course, uh, no E in whiskey. Or reach out to us, inf- info at singlecastnation.com. And, uh, and we will tend to that. Or by Instagram. Or by, well, I won't say Twitter anymore. Because <laughs> Twitter doesn't exist. It's now X. Um, there you go. That's another story. Jason, let's not get into that. I'm going to raise my glass to you. To Thank Felipe, you. to absolutely, and 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 to those that that write in, and to those that listen, and to those that have been supporting Single Cast Nation and One Nation under whiskey. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.